welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Carrie Gino shares from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, the 17th part of the series, The Household of God. And now, here's Carrie. Those words and those, that music. Thank you, uh, worship group. Notice one thing about all the songs, all the music, they're all about Jesus Christ, salvation through grace. So anytime someone tries to tell us otherwise, I think we should remember songs. The world is asking a question. And the question is, <clears throat> does the church even have a role in the community today? The world asks the question because it rarely sees what the church, the body of believers, does in times of trouble. Irrelevant and out of, touch, out of touch are frequent responses to the word church. So what is the role of the church, the body of believers, in the community today? The question is not a simple one. Every church in the area has an answer. Books have been written and key phrases are coined, but the question remains the same. What is the role of the church? According to the Apostle Paul, the role of the church can be summed up in a single word. And that word is run. And by using the word, we're not talking about running away from. <clears throat> run is actually not about running away, but running towards the people, the places, and activities which seem to need the greatest help. Scripture backs this idea up in several places, but one comes from a letter written by the Apostle Paul towards the end of his life. Let's open in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're just filled with so much love at the grace that you showed to us through your Son, Jesus. Father, help us to always look to him and to look to you, Lord, for all our blessings for all our actions, and to give praise to you always, and not to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul now comes to the conclusion, not only of this letter to Timothy, but of his life on earth as well. These words are dictated, probably to Luke, perhaps within a few days of Paul's beheading. Anticipating the executioner's sword, Paul passes the baton to his young friend, Timothy, and he entrusts him with the next lap of the race. He writes in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth 
and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Many of us don't recognize how much this man, Paul, has endured. He took all of his gifts, talents, and skills, and he offered them to the Lord. He literally took his gift of yearning to know God, his talent for sharing and persevering, as well as, as, well as his skills of writing, debate, and even tent making to further the message until his final breath. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, walk this road? When I think of someone running towards the ills of this world, I can't stop thinking about a movie from a few few years ago starring Clint Eastwood called Gran Torino. In the movie, Walt Kowalski, Clint Eastwood, is a gruff, retired assembly line worker and a Korean war veteran who was recently widowed after 50 years of marriage and is now dying of lung cancer. Over the course of the movie, Walt befriends an Asian immigrant family and especially a young man by the name of Thale. By the end of the movie, Walt stands up to the Asian gang that is terrorizing the neighborhood by sacrificing himself for the good of his new friends and the community, and especially Thale. Walt stands before the gangster's house and shouts all kinds of threats, and he asks them to come out. As they come to the porch, armed to the hilt, he reaches inside his jacket for his lighter, only to be gunned down by the fearful gang. After the community witnesses his death, they begin to have courage, and they speak out against the criminals. This fictional character demonstrates by his actions what Christ achieved for us on the cross and what his disciples passed on. I have to wonder, would I run into the eye of the storm or run away? How would I react? What is of such value to me that I would risk my life? God's story is actually an answer to that question. God seeing the state of human struggle and the impending tornado of judgment, he decides to come, shield us, and offer us safe passage home. The result of which is the purest form of gratitude that we begin to imitate his actions to others. While Paul sometimes comes off as a snippy old man whose life is coming to an end, He wants to ensure that Timothy's ministry is successful. He doesn't want the church to fall prey to the world and veer from its original mission for whom Christ had given his life and now Paul would give his. He cautions Timothy 
to be patient with others as God is patient with us. And that, and that is the crutch of all Christian ministry. This is the essence of teaching. To educate means to draw out and true, te- true teaching patiently draws out the very best in one another. It's the role of the church to offer unconditional love when it's not required. It's the role of the church to speak out against injustice when the world is afraid. It's the role of the church to speak up when it's unpopular. It's the role of the church to show Jesus to the world, not by criticizing, condemning, or passing judgment, but to love as Jesus loves. To accept as Jesus accepts. To welcome our brothers and sisters with love, whether they're Christians or not. Because Christ died on the cross, because God so loved the world. It's the role of the church to show the world that Christ is the way and the only way. Not only by our words, but by our actions. It's the role of the church to act when all we have to go on is faith. Is faith in God and his power to redeem all of our actions. It's the role of us as individuals and as a body of believers to take risks and run without fear towards, not away from. Imagine a body of believers who could be counted on to run, to risk loving those around us so uniquely that the world would ask, what would we do without that church? These words which Paul writes to Timothy are probably the last words that Paul speaks to us before his execution at Rome. Paul is preparing Timothy to continue on after his death. He reminds Timothy, Timothy of their long period of shared ministry and God's preparation of Timothy for the task ahead. Paul had modeled the ministry of a suffering servant following the Lord Jesus who is the prime example of the suffering servant. But now Timothy would have to lead. Having instructed Timothy, <clears throat> Paul now proceeds to say goodbye to his longtime son in faith. After telling Timothy to make full proof of the ministry entrusted to him by keeping his head in all situations to endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all of the duties of his ministry, Paul tells him that his work, Paul's work, on earth was now done. We know that Paul had wanted to go home to Jesus for a long time, but age, beatings, and long imprisonment had broken down his aging body. He had held on as long as he had because it was needful for him to stay. But now, Paul had done all that he could to prepare Timothy and the churches he had founded to continue on without him. And he could do so because it wasn't his churches, but rather Jesus' churches, who certainly would look after them. Paul knows he is about to die. He had appealed to Caesar, 
which was the last earthly course on earth. And apart from God's direct intervention, this was the end. But he chooses to look beyond his upcoming execution to the crown of glory that awaited him. This doesn't mean that Paul was beyond the fear of death. Paul was human, after all. Even Jesus, in his human nature, cried out on the night before his crucifixion. But yet, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus looked beyond the pain and the shame of the cross to the joy that awaited him, which was to sit down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. There's a lot of similarity here to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. It talks about an agonizing race that is set before the believer, one which one has to lay aside all distractions and able to run. The race is to be run as Jesus ran his. And having having given his best, Paul sees himself as crossing the finish line. The focus is not on winning as much as it is on finishing. And we can't emphasize too much on what we've done because it's by Christ. It is Christ by grace that we are saved and gives us eternal life. The finish line of the believer takes us back to the cross. The race starts and finishes at the cross. We start our new life by grace and we finish by grace. Paul says that he has finished the agonizing contest. He had, as the Greek puts it, agonized the good agony. He already saw himself as having been poured out as a drink offering to God, something he also makes mention of in Philippians. Paul now encourages Timothy as well as all Christian believers, to join him in the race to death. It's because the race to death is the path to a glorious future which lies beyond. Jesus is coming, and we must long for his day. And as someone once said, everyone is going to die, so why not die for Jesus? Let's talk for a moment about the crown of righteousness which Paul says awaits him. Will he receive this crown because he has fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith? Are these two sentences related or are they separate statements? Not to take away from the wonderful work and life of Paul, the crown of righteousness is one of the types of crowns that we read about that's in heaven. It's a crown that shall be awarded to every saint. The crown of righteousness shall be awarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Let us remember that believers and unbelievers will be in different judgment seats. In the case of our Christian race, the crown goes not only to Paul, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Righteousness by faith is the righteousness of God. Every person with faith in Jesus Christ 
will be in heaven since salvation is only by grace through faith. Heaven is only for people righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus is the only way. John 14.6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So every person righteous by faith in Jesus Christ shall be clothed with a clean, fine, white linen, the crown of righteousness. Revelation 19, verses 7 to 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife, the church, has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. There is a reward. The crown in the Greek games was a laurel wreath awarded to the victor. In the case of our Christian race, the crown goes not only to Paul, but also to all who have loved Christ's appearing. Any thought that only super-Christians get special awards is abolished. Such is Paul's view of death and of life. Verses 9 to 22. And please forgive me if I mispronounce some of the names in the next passage. In university, I was studying to be an English major, not an English general. Verse 9 to 22. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. And my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Honest the Forest. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you.
At this point in the text, Paul perhaps remembers that he has left a few things out which he intended to say. And Paul was writing or perhaps dictating to Luke, Luke under difficult imprisonment. Back then, they didn't have word processors like we have today, which would make editing easier. As parchment and papyrus was expensive and everything was written by hand, one couldn't just easily insert back into the text what they had forgotten to say. Paul desired Timothy to come before winter. He needed his cloak to stay warm in case his execution was delayed. And he still hopes to live long enough to see his beloved Timothy in person. And we don't know if this was the case. Paul was deeply hurt by the desertion of many of the people who had kept him company, perhaps out of fear. But he was especially distressed by Demas, who had deserted him and returned to worldly life. He had quit the race. Alexander the coppersmith had also hurt him badly, although we're not sure exactly how. There's a gem hidden in this letter which makes it worthwhile. And this involves John Mark. John Mark had utterly failed Paul on his first missionary journey and went home. Paul was more than reluctant to take him again on the second journey. And the division was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that it caused a bitter separation. But after many years, Mark had proven to be useful for ministry. Barnabas's Barnabas's confidence in John Mark was justified. And Paul now asks John Mark to join him, saying that he is now useful for ministry. We have another potential gem here, in that Timothy was not only to bring John Mark, but to also bring the parchments. We have to wonder if these parchments might have been the Gospel of Mark or Old Testament documents. Since Luke was with Paul, was this how Luke came to acquire the Gospel of Mark as one of the main sources of his own Gospel? We can't tell if this this for sure, if it's true or not, but it's an interesting proposition to consider. Paul goes on to say that in his suffering, Jesus has stood beside him and comforted him. We're never truly alone or deserted if we have Jesus. Paul mentions being rescued out of the jaw of the lion. As far as we know, Paul was not released and was soon executed. So this does not seem like deliverance in a worldly sense. Daniel emerged alive and well from the dead, but Paul would not. But if we realize to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, then in that sense he was delivered, even as we too shall be delivered. The lion, which is often used as a symbol of the power of government, ultimately has only a temporary grip on us. We are destined by the call of God to a better kingdom ruled by a better lion. Priscilla and Aquila 
now in Ephesus, received special greetings from Paul. They had risked their lives for Paul as we, re- as we read in Romans chapter 16, verse 3. And they always hosted a church in their home. Acts 18, 2-3, and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. Paul finishes with his final benediction, which is that the Lord would be with Timothy, Timothy's spirit, and give him grace. Timothy's timid spirit would be strengthened by the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The courage Timothy would need to face dangerous roads ahead would be with Timothy. And we know from the epistle to the Hebrews that Timothy would be freed from prison at some point in the near future. And tradition also tells us that he became a bishop and he died a martyr's death. The Lord is able to keep his people right to the end. If Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, then nothing matters. But if he is, then nothing else matters. When we stumble and sin, do we say, look at what I did? Or do we look to Jesus and say, look at what he did for me? We are righteous not because of what we did, but because of what he did. The gospel is not a list of things we must do to inherit eternal life. It's the blessed announcement that the righteousness we need to enter the kingdom of heaven, the righteousness that precedes that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, comes to us as a free gift through faith. So can we lose our salvation if we don't endure to the end? Matthew 10, verse 22, chapter 24, verse 13, and Mark 13, 13 says, He who endures to the end will be saved. At first glance, Jesus seems to be saying salvation hangs on our endurance. If we don't endure, we're not fit for the kingdom. If this is so, this is not good news. So we worry, what if I don't stand firm to the end? What if I have a bad day? A bad month or a bad year? What if I stumble? Is Jesus saying life is one big probationary period and only those who perform flawlessly every day will qualify for the kingdom? Well, if he were, he would be contradicting promises that he made elsewhere. God would have to forsake us when he said he wouldn't. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In closing, I'd like to read what Max Lucado writes about Paul and his final epistle. And I'll try and do it in his voice. They have taken everything else. They have taken his freedom. He's locked in a Roman prison. 
They have taken his possessions. He hasn't even a shawl to keep him warm. They have taken his churches. He will not see them again. They have taken his future. He is sentenced to die. What do you have left, Paul? What do you have left to show for your life? Had you stayed a Jew in Jerusalem, you'd have a seat of status and a house of retirement. Had you been more compromising, you might have gone unnoticed by the Romans. Had you been less passionate, you might have pastored a church and stayed in one city. But you were too convinced, too compromised, too convinced to compromise, too convicted to stay home. And now, with the end in sight, with the verdict rendered and the end in sight, what do you have left? The old apostle leans forward with eyes twinkling, and he says, I have kept the faith. That was the heart of the apostle, and that is the heart of this epistle. And as far as we know, this is the last one that he ever wrote. Paul picks up his pen one final time. He knows the end is near. I am being poured out like a drink offering, he tells Timothy, his son in the faith. But he has no regrets, only counsel for young Timothy, who has been left to lead the church in Ephesus. His tenderness for the young minister peeks out from behind every word. Make every effort, he urges, to give yourself to God as the kind of person he will accept. Be a worker who is not ashamed and who uses the true teaching in the right way. He writes in chapter 2, verse 15. Timothy never had another teacher like Paul. The world has never had another teacher like Paul. He was convinced of two facts. Number one, he was once lost. And number two, but then saved. He spent a lifetime telling every person who would listen. And in the end, it cost him everything. For in the end, all he had was his faith. But in the end, all his faith, his faith was all that he needed. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can spend in your presence. I just pray as we go and leave this place, we go in your love and your mercy and your grace until we meet again as a, as a group or until you bring us home. Increase in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.